On this Discover the Word podcast, we continue some conversations we're having with New Testament seminary professor Dr. Max Botner about the way the gospel writer Matthew tells the story of Jesus by often using quotes from the Old Testament. The theme that I've been pushing is trying to illustrate an interpretive approach mm-hmm. where Jesus is understood as a climax and fulfillment of the Old Testament story. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament story being the absolute necessary resource for understanding what's happening in Jesus. I don't think for any early Jesus follower, especially Jewish Jesus follower, you could speak about Jesus Messiah without the scriptures, Israel scriptures, right? And man, I would love to have been a a person at that Bible study in one of the early house churches Mm. where they didn't have the New Testament yet, but they were engaging the Old Testament, interpreting it in light of Christ. More of these quotes or citations in Matthew that add depth and meaning to our understanding of Jesus in part two of an episode of the Discover the Word podcast called That Scripture Might Be Fulfilled. Great to have you as part of the group. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And this is a continuation of our last podcast called That Scripture Might Be Fulfilled and some conversations that regular group members, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day had with New Testament seminary professor, Dr. Max Botner. And one of Max's specialties is the way in the New Testament we find quotes or citations of Old Testament statements often prefaced by that the scripture might be fulfilled. It's really proving to be a fascinating study that shows how the whole Bible is pointing to Jesus. And specifically, that's how Matthew put his gospel together. All right, so let's join the group as they explore something else in Matthew's telling of Jesus' story that fulfilled or filled full an Old Testament idea. Bill, Lisa, I don't know about you, but last week, hanging out with Dr. Botner or Max, who's with us again this week, mm-hmm. uh, was pretty intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, you know, trying to run along behind, trying to catch the crumbs. Oh, Thank yeah. you for helping Thanks. us. But, I mean, admittedly, these are fairly intense discussions. Yes. A lot of the language of this is academic language that yeah. maybe people aren't totally used to. So what kind of got you here? Sure. Yeah. It's a great question, Bill. So I did not grow up in a uh, Christian home. I was born Jewish, but um, I came to faith kind of through my mom. She had a background where um, her dad had been a pastor and she sort of walked away from the Mm. faith. And so I came to faith then, but I didn't get it. uh, I don't think yet. Christianity to me still seemed like mostly kind of a buzzkill, to be honest, like just (laughs) a not very fun way of moving through the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it wasn't really till college being mentored by a pastor and by God's providence I ended up transferring into a college that had some Bible classes that you could take and so I took my first intro to Old Testament and I just remember sitting there in this class and thinking this is what I want to do with my life Ah. and so kind of that was like the seedbed for thinking I think I need to go to seminary Mm. so I ended up going to Fuller Seminary after I graduated and then from there on I had 
did some work in the church and ended up doing a, a PhD at University of St. Andrews. In Scotland. In Scotland. Mm. But um, the kind of things that I really love doing are very similar to what we're doing in these conversations, honestly. It's getting together with men and women who are engaged in vocational ministry in different contexts, but many of them have been in pastoral ministry for decades. And we're sitting together asking ourselves, what does it mean to be God's people reading scripture? So we do dive into academic stuff, but it always has a target of worship and Mm. uh, Christian identity. I think it's really interesting, Max, that coming from a Jewish family, you mm-hmm. have this great appreciation for the Old Testament yes. scriptures and how they connect into the new. I think that's really cool. And yeah. it's so helpful, I think. I mean, throughout my story of growing up the, in a very different way, very Christian home, growing up in church and all that, the Old Testament was always something that was super hard to understand, mm-hmm. not accessible. And even just the connections last week that you brought us through from old and new I haven't seen most of those connections until either seminary or until our conversations last week of seeing how they work together so well to tell one story. Yeah, absolutely. Where do we start this week? (laughs) Yeah, so wow, this week we're jumping right back in. The theme of Matthew's scripture citations in the first two chapters. And here we're getting into a text. So we're going to be in Matthew 2. Uh, verses 13 through 15. Here's the question I want to pose to you all to kind of get us started because I think it would be, it's a helpful entree. When you hear the expression, Jesus is the son of God, Mm -hmm. what do you think? Or what do most Christians think when we hear Jesus is the son of God? That he's the son of God. Second person (laughs) of the Trinity. Yes, (laughs) right? I think that's it, right? We hear son of God language and we hear Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, which is absolutely true. But one of the unfortunate things that happens in our our confessions sometimes in our just natural Christian discourse is we miss the variety of ways in which son of God language works in Mm -hmm. the Bible, Hmm. right? So son of God can apply corporately to the people of God. And then within that, people are sons and daughters of God because they're part of God's people. Mm -hmm. The son of God par excellence is the Messiah King as well. So Jesus ends up being here in Matthew in these first two chapters all of these things. Mm-hmm. He's the son of God by the virgin birth of the Holy Spirit, the son of God, the Messiah King, and the son of God we're going to see here as the corporate representative of Israel. Mm-hmm. So, um, Bill, would you mind reading just these three verses, the 13 okay. through 15? Sure. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt did I call my son. Okay. This is one of those places where if someone's trying to make a case that Matthew is just kind of haphazardly trying to proof text, right? Mm -hmm. Grab things from the Old (laughs) Testament, (laughs) right? Because if you go back and flip to Hosea Mm 11.1, who is the son here in this text? Israel. Israel, right? It's the text about Israel. So how does that make sense, right? It doesn't as a straightforward messianic proof text, but what's the context of Hosea 11? Well, they're talking about the Exodus, correct? Yes. Yes. It's about the exile as uh-huh. the new Exodus. Because out of Egypt, yes. I mm-hmm. called my and, and, Israel. And Hosea is applying it mm-hmm. to the return from exile. So you have numerous prophetic texts, Hosea, Jeremiah, Isaiah, where the return from exile is narrated as the new Exodus. Well, and Israel corporately 
looked at the scriptures through the, and looked at the world through the lens of their history. Mm-hmm. And the Exodus was the key element of that. Yes. And so mm-hmm. so to see that continuing to play forward in the Old Testament scriptures Absolutely. is not a surprise. Absolutely. Right? Not a surprise at all. And I don't want to take us on a rabbit trail, but I think there's a really, really fundamental point, Bill, that you're getting at here, which is that the paradigm for understanding God in the Old Testament is deliverance, mm-hmm. Exodus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then formation of a people with instruction, which mm-hmm. is what Torah is, and God mm-hmm. dwells among his people. That is the same paradigm we have in the New Testament. Yeah. Salvation mm-hmm. and then instruction, God dwelling with his people. The new exodus. It's the new exodus, yeah. right? And so that's also very helpful to keep in mind because we have an incorrect paradigm of the Old Testament as being based on works righteousness and trying to earn your, your salvation. Well, no, deliverance happens. God delivers his people and then brings them out into the wilderness, hmm. dwells with them and gives them instruction for mm-hmm. dwelling together, mm-hmm. which is the paradigm we have in the New Testament as well. And I think it's a really important overall point to Pattern. see, to mm-hmm. see, yeah, to see mm-hmm. in scripture. So in some ways, is this kind of connecting with an idea we talked about last week with uh, the virgin birth. Mm -hmm. And we saw that in the context of Isaiah Mm -hmm. and then Matthew picking up on the context of Isaiah Mm -hmm. saying, yes, that might've been fulfilled in a way there, Mm -hmm. but now here's the more full fulfillment. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so in the same way, Hosea, that happened. Sure. Right. And Hosea is prophesying about a time of them coming out of exile. And in a way they had come out of Babylon at this point. But Matthew's saying not only did it happen then, but here is the more full or fulfilled version of what's happening. Well, and here is the um, hermeneutical interpretive principle underlying it all, which is that Matthew sees Jesus as the embodiment of Israel here. Hmm. As the embodiment. So to use a big theological term, Jesus is recapitulating carrying through the story of Israel. So he is the faithful Israelite, Mm -hmm. the one who carries forward the story of Israel. And this comes out then in the temptation, Mm -hmm. his first temptation. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Quotation of Deuteronomy 8.3. The context of that is God leading his people out into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Jesus is now passing the test as the faithful Israelite. Yeah. So Matthew sees Jesus as the son of God. Yeah. That is the embodiment of Israel. Yeah. That's the key principle here that makes sense of this citation. Without that, it doesn't make sense. Jesus is also the fulfillment of the instruction of the law yes. side as Just well. Just where I was going to go, it's like he yeah. really completes yeah. the law and then yeah. puts it to bed. But you not know, only does done, he complete the law, not only does he pass the temptation, mm-hmm. he passed the temptation that the other Israel failed. Right. So he becomes the ideal because he succeeded where Israel had failed, but he didn't just succeed on his own behalf. He succeeded on behalf of all of us, Precisely. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And just to tweak it a little bit, Elisa, I wouldn't say that he's putting the law to rest. I would say the Sermon on the Mount is the authoritative interpretation of the law. So Jesus is showing what it means to do the law. Right. Fully, faithfully. Mm -hmm. He's the authoritative interpreter. The Sermon on the Mount is... Jesus as the new Moses. I think what I meant by that is that because he keeps it perfectly, we're freed to not. So when he is holy as his heavenly father is holy, he truly is. We're called to to actually... Be holy as your father is holy. Yeah. And you kind of flipped it earlier in the conversation because you said deliverance, Mm -hmm. then instruction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And with Jesus, it's the same. We're delivered and then invited into new life. Yes. 
yes. into this new heart version of yeah. fulfilling. When That's Jesus cool. says at the end of Matthew, teach them to obey everything I've taught you, he has, among other things, the Sermon on the Mount in mind. Yeah. That is the mm-hmm. way of God's people, the yeah. Messiah. The last point that's really interesting here is the twist, right? So here we have the child leaving to go to Egypt and then returning. Mm-hmm. So how is Herod functioning in this story if we're thinking about an exodus? He's a bad guy. He's Pharaoh. He's Pharaoh. <laughs> yeah. Herod is Pharaoh. He, yeah, he kills all the Hebrews. Yeah. Israel, what does that make Israel That's at the time? Israel is like in mm-hmm. Egypt. So Jesus has to escape to Egypt to escape the Egypt Bingo. that Israel has become. Bingo. Oh man, so it's kind of like I've heard uh, <laughs> I've heard theologians talk a lot about one of the reasons Israel had to wander through the wilderness was because after he pulled Israel out of Egypt, he then had to give them time to get the Egypt out of Israel. And so yeah. it's almost like we're seeing that same theme here where it's like Jesus is being rescued mm-hmm. from the new Egypt, mm-hmm. which is Israel by like, going to Egypt. <laughs> oh, it's a sober <laughs> reminder for the people of God too, right? That mm-hmm. um, corrupt leadership can turn what should be a place of blessing and, and justice yeah. into mm-hmm. an Egypt. Yeah. yeah. And it's a sober reminder for us too, because where do we think that we are being like God, but actually we're being not like God? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, Matthew 2, referring back to Hosea chapter 11. And so more than just kind of randomly proof texting some words from the Old Testament prophet, Matthew seems to be using it to express his strategy of presenting in many ways that Jesus is the ideal Israelite. Max Botner at the table with Elisa and Bill and Daniel. And next, he's going to take them to another citation. Just a couple of verses later in Matthew chapter 2, this one of Jeremiah chapter 31. And this is part of probably the darkest part of the Christmas story. Uh, Herod having all the baby boys in Bethlehem, two years and under, killed. But I think we're going to understand it better in the light of the connections now to the Old Testament. We've got another uh, really interesting topic to discuss. The uh, title of this program is Tears of Exile. (laughs) I want to think about what Matthew is doing with this citation from Jeremiah 31. And so, Daniel, would you maybe mind just uh, getting us started here, just reading the passage for us? It's uh, 16 through 18, uh, Matthew chapter 2, 16 through 18. Okay. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. Right. Now, that's the part, and I'm not trying to trivialize it, but that's the part you never see on a Christmas card. Never. That's right. Uh, so and you don't difficult. see it as part of the Christmas yeah. program, no. and yet it's part of the story. Yeah, and there may be a reason why it should be part of the story, actually, mm-hmm. if we're mm-hmm. being honest with ourselves. And this takes me to kind of the entry point into this conversation that I want to propose to you all, and that is the broader question of lament in the Christian mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You know, it really wasn't until I went to seminary that I even heard about songs of lament in mm-hmm. the Bible. Mm-hmm. And then I took a class on the Psalms and I was told that that's actually the most common type of Psalm <laughs> in the Psalter are complaints to God about injustice. Yeah. Yeah. And what it really uh, kind of reinforced for me is how central lament is to the biblical story. We think about 
Israel's experience in the Exodus story, what moves God to act on behalf of his people? It's when he hears their cries come mm-hmm, up to him. Mm-hmm. Likewise, here in this text, we'll talk more about the context of Jeremiah 31, but it's the cries of Rachel weeping mm-hmm. for her children that move mm-hmm. God's heart to restore them from exile. It's another yeah. exile text. Now, first, that word lament, I've heard it yeah. defined as drawing mm-hmm. attention to what's wrong in the world and asking God to do something about it. But I'd be curious how you, as you've thought about that word and the meaning behind it, what does it mean? to lament. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good broad definition. I do think the kind of hinge point assumption of it is that the God of Israel is a good and just God Hmm. and that the world is broken. Mm -hmm. And so therefore part of our responsibility, not in pride or arrogance, but is to call out, cry out and Mm -hmm. lament to God. Mm -hmm. Many of the lament Psalms are actually quite general. If you look Mm -hmm. at the language, I think that's intentional because it allows them to be applied to different situations. Mm -hmm. But there's a deep concern for the category of the Ani, the poor, the oppressed. And part of the vocation of God's people, uh, not just as individuals, but corporately, collectively, is to protest Mm -hmm. injustice done against those who are oppressed. Is there an element of just pure grief in lament? I mean, lament can sound kind of fancy. And is there a place for simply a cry of grief? Oh, yeah. I mean, you see very raw, unbridled cries Mm -hmm. in lament. Just like Jesus's final words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Thank which is you. the first word of a lament in Psalm 22.1. And I think what's really important for us to get there is that is still a cry of faith. My God, my God. Yeah, Jesus I, is not letting go. Connected. This is my God. But he's crying out against mm-hmm. this, this situation, yeah. right? And lament can be deeply personal. Yes. As for the individual Israelites, it was help me yes. yeah. as can well be. as yes, help us. Absolutely. Well, and even in the case you just cited in Psalm 22.1, that was David. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before Jesus mm-hmm. yeah. took those words on the cross, David's experience right. yes. was so deep and so painful and so heartbreaking that he cried out, my God, why have you yeah. forsaken me? And then Jesus' experience pulls those words forward. Right. But I mean, but it was David. That's right. Yeah. And I'm guessing because I'm starting to get into the rhythm of how you're leading us now, <laughs> um, that these verses we see here in Rama where Rachel is weeping, yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing this has its own context. It does. Yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. So what is the context of this passage? If you look at Jeremiah 31, a couple things to note. One is this is the big new covenant text, hmm. Jeremiah 31 uh, through 34. That's where we get the language of the new covenant, which Jesus has come to inaugurate. But the big chunk of what Jeremiah 31 is about, again, is return from exile. Mm-hmm. And in keeping with the Hosea theme, these two texts are connected together, right? What better way to show that Israel is still in exile than that Pharaoh is killing the the newborn of Israel in Israel, right? Mm -hmm. Herod as Pharaoh. So it connects with the previous Hosea text, but just like the Hosea text, it's narrating return from exile in terms of a new exodus. A couple of just high points to point out here. So these are some of the things that God says earlier on uh, prior to our passage. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. That's a major theme of the new Exodus in Isaiah, Hosea, Mm -hmm. finding God's grace in the wilderness Mm -hmm. journey. Again, you shall take your tambourines, go forth and dance of the merrymakers. Hmm. That's Miriam's song by the sea after God overthrows Pharaoh and his chariots. And then the reminder, for I have become a father to Israel. So there's the father-son language. Mm -hmm. uh, And Ephraim is my firstborn, which in the context of Jeremiah is very significant because Ephraim is kind of code for the north, which had been wiped out. 
And so Jeremiah, hmm. the prophet, the Lord is saying through Jeremiah, I'm not done with you yet, northern kingdom. But We're, Ephraim was also one of the sons of Joseph born in yes, Egypt. Yes, yes. Not one of the sons of Israel yeah. born in Canaan. That's right. That's a good connection. Yep. So all of these kind of language is, again, the voice of Rachel weeping is the sign that God's people are in exile. And it's the cry mm. that moves God to liberate mm. his people. Very much like the cry in the first mm. Exodus. One of the things you've been helping us do is try and keep connecting dots in the story yes. so we can see how. That's it. And so you have Jesus going to Egypt to escape the slaughter of babies by Herod in Israel, which reflects the words to Jeremiah in 31, which reflects the act of Pharaoh yes. in Exodus <laughs> yes. when he was killing the babies, yes. right? Yes. So again, yeah. you keep seeing how Israel looks at their story through the lens of their story. That's exactly right. <laughs> and think about it, right? Why should we expect anything different? It's the same spirit that inspired all of the writers to of write. Course. So of course mm-hmm. they're going to be looking for connections, Yeah, right? of course. And here's the really cool thing too. Is so like right after... Rachel's tears, the very next, this is the very next line in Jeremiah. Okay. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears for there is reward for your work, says the Lord. They shall come back from the land of their enemy. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children shall come back to their own country. Hmm. It's a um, consolation that the weeping has been heard and that God will end the exile. Hmm. So it's a very kind of stark reminder there uh, for us. But back to Bill's point about this needing to be part of the Christmas uh, story is it's, it's a profound reminder of, I think for us, should be not just of the injustice in the ancient world at the time of Jesus, but of similar kinds of injustices going on in our world today. And that as we reflect on Christmas being the birth of the Messiah, the just king for all peoples, it's a chance to reflect on mm-hmm. and lament injustice in our communities today. Mm. And so that's why I think Rachel's tears should become our tears as well. Mm -hmm. It's not just an act in the past, but it's an ongoing element of being God's people. Yeah, for sure. And you know, in Jesus's story, this is early on in Matthew, but in some ways it's foreboding of so much that's going to happen, not only in Jesus life, but then with the early church and with uh, the martyrs and how there's so much brokenness still Mm -hmm. to come. Well, and that's, I'm glad you brought that up because where is this story headed? It's heading to the Messiah being crucified, Mm -hmm. right? So, and his mother standing at the foot of the cross watching. So we, we worship a God who does not stand aloof to our suffering and lament. Like the incarnation is the ultimate God entering into the story of human grief and lament. So when we lament to Jesus, we're lamenting to the son of God who knows intimately our pain and our suffering. And in some ways that's the ultimate biblical response to pain and suffering and injustice, not to explain it away, but to Mm -hmm. say our God is involved in it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. that's right. So can we slow this Christmas narrative down? I mean, way down into when we read Matthew 1 and Matthew 2, Mm. can we slow it down to be more inclusive? You know, because we totally miss the layers. We see the answer. Mm -hmm. We see the fulfillment. But fulfillment has a much deeper meaning if we pause to consider the condition. Mm -hmm. And the conditions only expressed through the entirety of Scripture. So I really love what you're doing here with including lament in here. But I also love what you're doing here in helping us pause to take in the entire story, the Old Testament story and deliverance that comes through in the New Testament. I think too, Elisa, you just said slow down. Mm -hmm. And I think what's striking me now is I think about how I tend to approach the Christmas story or even reading Matthew Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I tend to be one of those people that ends up reading usually a chapter at a day, a, a time yeah, or something. Me too, so me if too. you read chapter two, you start with the wise men and you're already past this story by the end. And mm-hmm. so we could gloss over it easily. But if you think about like, this is Jesus, the Messiah being born. We have a story of intense fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can only imagine Joseph waking up after this oh angel had goodness. warned him. And it's like, are we going to get out in time? Yeah. Yeah. Right? It yeah. takes time to yeah. get out of yeah. Israel yeah. and to Egypt. Yeah. So that fear that's first present, and then not just fear, but when they do get to a safe place, they still have family, friends, right. their whole mm-hmm. community is back there that doesn't make it out. Right. And all this suffering happens in this yep. story. And it's part of the story, and it needs to be part of the story. I mean, one of the things our friend Mart, who's often at this table with us, one of the things I've heard him say so countless many times is that everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Some of it points to Jesus directly, yeah. but some of us just reminds us why we need him so much. I think that's really well said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is part of those things that remind us why this world needed him so yeah. much. Yeah. And why we need him so much. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of that in the Old Testament and a lot of ways we can identify that need in ourselves. Well, that scripture might be fulfilled. Fascinating connections Matthew made in telling the story of Jesus to what was written in the Old Testament. And uh, the next one that we come to has some interesting questions attached to it, like where exactly did this quote come from? It sounds biblical enough, but then again, God helps those who help themselves and cleanliness is next to godliness. Sound like they come from the book of Proverbs. But those sayings are not in the Bible. And so uh, Max and the group work through that after we take a quick break. These conversations we're having with Dr. Max Botner are are pretty in-depth. And uh, that's the advantage of having a New Testament seminary professor guiding the discussions. And if you're hungry for more foundational teaching on the New Testament, uh, we'd like to offer you a free course from Our Daily Bread University called New Testament Basics. Your professor for that course is another amazing biblical scholar, Dr. Sid Buzzle, and he will walk with you from the Gospels all the way through the book of Revelation. I think you'll really enjoy this academic survey and also highly practical approach to studying the New Testament. And you can sign up for this free course, New Testament Basics, from Our Daily Bread University when you go to discovertheword.org. Now, Our Daily Bread University is an aspect of our ministry that gives learners at all levels the chance to take easily accessible, affordable Bible-based courses in many different subject areas. ODBU contracts with the most gifted teachers and professors and authors and scholars in a variety of disciplines to capture their lectures and then provide a large library of supplemental resources to enhance your learning experience. There are lots of opportunities waiting for you from Our Daily Bread University. And now let's listen as Max helps Elisa and Bill and Daniel explore this next quote, which, uh, interestingly enough, raises some questions about who or what Matthew is actually quoting. We are looking now at the scripture citation, if you will, that uh, he grows up in Nazareth so that uh, what has been spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Quote, he will be called a Nazarene. 
And so citation, fancy word for looking in a book or a movie or something and saying, this is when it was said, and here's the time marker, or here's the page number, yeah, or whatever. It's a quote. It's a quote. Yeah. It's a quote. So yeah, where's the page number or right, whatever right. for this well, citation? So, right. So this passage actually makes me think of that feeling that we might be have all had at one point or another. I certainly have, where you're maybe you're in church, you're listening to a sermon, or you're at a Bible study, retreat, whatever. You're listening to what's being said, and you just say, that's not in the Bible. Well, like right? God helps those who help themselves. Yeah, just, we all think that's in scripture. And that's a good example of where I was going. We have these aphorisms uh-huh. which we they sound <laughs> sort of scripturesque, right? Yeah. Or then we follow that with the question, yeah, so where are you getting that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of the question that has been posed of this passage in Matthew uh, 2, 19 through 23. That So they've come back to the land, which note that just like Moses flees Egypt, comes back to Egypt to liberate the people, Jesus flees with Joseph, comes back to the land to liberate the people. Oh, so a similar yeah. a connection there. But he's come back to the land and now it's, okay, this has happened. He's growing up in Nazareth so that what has been spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. And as <laughs> some of you may know, there is no Old Testament passage <laughs> that says he will be called a Nazarene. Okay, let me ask you this. Is there any Old Testament apocrypha? where a statement like that might be found. That's a great question. And see, that's the kind of thing you want to be asking yourself, Uh right? So we miss something. Apocrypha, (laughs) right, refers to a number of these books that are in some Old Testament canons, Roman Catholic Mm -hmm. canon, for example, that were written in about 200 year period before Jesus, about maybe about a hundred year period after. So like the 300 year period or so, even though we don't have in our Bibles as Protestants, they have a ton of important historical information in them, right? So when we're thinking about the context of our New Testament, the Apocrypha are very valuable and important. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, with all that said, unfortunately the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> but along with that as well, there's also an oral tradition of interpreting yeah. Yeah. the scriptures yeah. as well. And yeah. so one of the things a rabbi would do in Jesus' day was not only teach the actual scriptures, but teach their interpretation of the scriptures, right? Correct. And in some ways that would have almost the same weight yeah. as the scriptures themselves. Yeah. Not fully the same way, but almost the what same. What you're getting at is, I think, the way to think about it is the transmission of scripture and yeah. interpretation are very tightly yeah. interconnected. Yeah. To distangle them is not that easy to yeah. do. So is that maybe part of what's happening here? Perhaps, yeah. yeah. So that's one of the questions, right? Was there a kind of an oral tradition? He mm-hmm. will be called a Nazarene. Or perhaps, as some have speculated, did Matthew have some kind of source book that had early interpretations mm-hmm. of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And or did they just misspell it? And they were talking about John the Baptist and they went to say Nazarite. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So these are the kind of things we have to start throwing out there, right? Yeah, this yeah. is one of those issues where no question is a bad question. And one of the speculations is actually the term Nazarite uh-huh. and Nazarene as it's spelled here. It has only a one letter difference. Well, and John the Baptist as a Nazarite yeah. follows these verses exactly yeah. in yeah, Matthew. Yeah, One way that this has been explained is that the way that Nazarite is spelled, particularly in the Greek text of Judges with mm-hmm. Samson called a Nazarite, mm-hmm. Nazarios, it has a one letter difference, the I versus the O sound mm-hmm. for Nazarene. Yeah. So but we know that Jesus was not a Nazarite because right, right. he partook of wine. He, you know, yes. he did other things that Correct. Nazarites were forbidden Correct. from. So the Nazarite vow in the Old Testament, for instance, was Samson or whatever. Yeah. There is a distinction between yeah. the two. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. And so I don't think it works very well. At best, it would be saying something like Jesus is holy or set apart for yeah. God. Yeah. If that was the point trying to be made. I think the better connection and what's great about this is 
one of the earliest commentators we have in the church on Matthew is St. Jerome. Hmm. And he caught this because he hmm. knew Hebrew is that the term Nazarios, Nazarene, could be a play on the Hebrew term Netzer, which is the term meaning shoot. So one of the most famous messianic mm. prophecies mm -hmm. is Isaiah 11, the shoot from the stump of Jesse. And it, think about that prophecy. It's an image of you've got a stump, like the Davidic line has been cut off and yeah. you need it to regrow, right? Yep. And so this is probably... Uh, to my knowledge, the most cited, quoted Old Testament prophecy in the period that we have in the texts, at least mm, Jewish and Christian yeah. texts. So is there a potential for a play here saying Jesus is this Messiah of David? Well, I don't know if we know for sure, but it works really well with the themes that we've been seeing so yeah. far about son of David, end of exile. And let me just read to you. This is from Jerome's commentary on Isaiah. He says this, after a long time in Babylon captivity, no longer possessing any glory from the sprout of the old kingdom of David, Christ would arise from Mary as though from her stem. <laughs> you have here a church father who knew Hebrew, learned Hebrew so he could do the Vulgate translation. And it's really convenient that this is all connected to Nazareth. Yeah. Yes. So you have Nazarite, Nazarene, Nazareth. Yeah. But I'm assuming Nazareth comes from the same. Correct. Metzer, You're a Nazarene right? if you come from Nazareth. Right. Yes. And why this is also really interesting is Isaiah 9, mm -hmm. which back to our earlier conversation about the prophecy about the child from a, a young woman or a virgin. Mm -hmm. There's a forward trajectory in that chunk of Isaiah going to 9 where it's reapplied to a future Davidic king. He'll be called Prince of Peace and mm -hmm. uh, all of that great stuff that we incorporate into Christmas time. Well, that section, Matthew quotes an earlier part of that section, oh, interesting. Um, okay. which is about a Davidic child. And here's the language. This is the opening of Isaiah 9. In the later time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, nations or Gentiles. Right. Yeah. So you have potentially another reference to, to Gentiles, Gentile inclusion. Mm. That would be another way to see how a Davidic figure who is this shoot is located in Nazareth, all within the book of Isaiah, mm. which is yeah. a critical uh, text. So while it's guesswork, right, we don't know for sure, we do have the advantage of it makes a lot of contextual sense. And one of our earliest interpreters, Jerome, saw it that so way. So if I understand what you're saying, to read verses, um, let's do 21 to 23. Yeah. Can you help us understand it as we read it? So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But yep. when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, having been warned in a dream. He withdrew the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Mm -hmm. That's a place. Yes. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a... Nazarene. Which means... A person from Nazareth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But also having this... Connection, a wordplay. A potential on. wordplay on the, the shoot. shoot. So yeah. that last sentence, so was fulfilled that he would be through the prophets, that he would come from Nazareth yep. and also fulfill this general prophecy yeah. that he would come from the, the root, the... The shoot from the, the stump shoot. of Jesse, yeah. yeah. I think part of the reason that maybe it's even harder to make the connection in this conversation is because it's been so long since we talked about the genealogy, yeah. just because of how many conversations we've had since yeah. then. That's good but looking idea. back yeah. at Matthew 1, yeah. we're only at the end of chapter 2. Right. But in that context, we have Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. Yeah. And the shoot so, of David. Which yeah. then right. we're talking about now the shoot of David yeah. coming yeah. out of the stump. So it's actually 
contextually very close yes, it is. to this yes. message that Matthew's yeah. trying to communicate, which yeah. is Jesus is not just this everyday dude that was born at the same time other people were born. Yeah. Yeah. There's something unique yeah. and special about him. And it's because this Old Testament witness, including a verse about a shoot coming from a stump, mm, yeah. is pointing forward yeah. to That's right. him. We have this Isaianic thread, right, with the virgin oh, yeah, birth yeah. text. Isaiah, yeah. All of this is in a kind of a section of Isaiah plus, mm-hmm where you've got language of this being drawn out to the future, mm-hmm. like pointed out to the future, so an extension. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you get this language about this figure, this king in the context mm-hmm. of Galilee. Okay, so my question then, Max, and this goes back to something Elisa reminded us in a previous conversation. For the average person reading in their Bible, yeah, they have no idea what to do totally, with this. Totally. My question is, would the first hearers yeah. have made those connections? Yeah. That's a difficult question to answer on a general level. I suspect some might have and others might have been needed to be helped seeing those okay. connections. This is one of those that is a head scratcher, right? It's very possible for a Christian reader today to read this text and be like, oh yeah, that's in the Old Testament somewhere and just keep going. Like, <laughs> I have no doubt that that's happened and exactly. it will continue to happen. Well, you're looking at me. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> and me. At some point, you are going to have someone ask the question, where is this text? Mm-hmm. And then when you don't find it, mm-hmm. then it raises the question like, is Matthew just inventing stuff? Mm-hmm. Is he right. just pulling it out of thin air? And what I'm trying to suggest is, no, he's actually following the same kind of story trajectory that we saw at the beginning with the genealogy and all these different scriptural citations. And in some ways, this is kind of a fitting capstone to the ones we've been looking at in that it really forces you to think about the context, the context of the Jesus story and how it fits into the story of mm-hmm. Israel. And, uh, yes. and so I think that that's where a lot of its value lies yeah. is kind of getting us to pause and ask, like, what has he been establishing so far? Yeah. Uh, what has he been doing with these citations? What kind of story has he been telling? And then I think we see consistently mm-hmm. that he's priming us to see the whole gospel as the Davidic king coming to liberate his people from exile so that we might all participate in this one mission of God and story. making a big leap here to the end of Matthew. And my hope is that what we've kind of done here is provide a bookend for understanding Matthew Mm -hmm. as a gospel and where the story is headed. So we spent a lot of time in the beginning thinking about the theme and the story that he's trying to set up is Jesus as this Davidic Messiah who's come Mm -hmm. to liberate God's people from exile and where the story is headed in the Great Commission. Remember, he's the son of David, son of Abraham, that the blessing for Abraham might flow through to all the nations. That is, God promised Abraham would be a father of many nations. Mm -hmm. And we saw that at the beginning of his genealogy. And so it's connected as the story he's trying to tell. So we see right here, you know, at the opening, maybe I'll just read these couple verses here. This is the great meeting that they have with Jesus in Galilee. Before he's crucified, he tells his disciples, I'm going to go ahead and you'll meet me in Galilee. And this is that meeting that happens. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Do you know that in all of the gospels, faith and doubt are combined together in the resurrection appearances. Mm -hmm. Mark, women flee out of fear from the tomb, right? And it's kind of like dot, dot, dot. Matthew, they worship, but some doubted. In Luke, they have to have their eyes opened because they can't even recognize him. Mm -hmm. And there's all these kind of issues. And then John, you have Thomas doubting 
Thomas. Yeah, yeah. So it's a great reminder and encouragement to us. And all of the gospels end with faith and doubt. Mm-hmm. It's just so crazy because they're looking at Jesus. I know. <laughs> and, and he's doubting. raised yeah. from the dead. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what does wow. that say about human nature? <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. So goofy. Exactly. But I think that's because exactly. sometimes we theologize, mm. right, these words. But what is doubt? It's looking at him and going, is this really happening? Could yeah. be. I mean, even just that. like as yeah. simple as just like How did we get here? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So this is what he says to them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's mm-hmm. the underlying announcement that leads to the mandate that we call the Great Commission. Well, and it's also the fulfillment of the new king coming because exactly. now the new king's here because he has all authority. Exactly. Right? And yeah. it's one of the things people notice about Jesus' teaching. He all was authority. one who spoke with authority. Yes. yes. Very yes. good. These are awesome connections. High fives all around. <laughs> um, just for the, uh, the <laughs> listeners who may want to go there, the key text here is Daniel 7, 13 and 14, where you have the Son of Man coming and he receives all authority. Yeah. Hmm. So that's a key text to undergirding Jesus's authority. It's now as the glorified Son of Man, yeah. he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And again, Son of Man is Jesus's favorite title for himself. Precisely. And so here comes the, the language of the great, what we call the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. I'm going to save the last little bit for our next conversation. <laughs> so we've got all authority, and he's telling his disciples to go forth to all uh, the nations. Now, the term there is ethne in the Greek. Mm-hmm. So it's like ethnic. Gotcha Correct. Now. Where we, we get the word ethnic. Yep. So the singular okay. is ethnos, a people group. And so the distinction with that term is nations versus Gentiles. So when Jews were looking at the world, they didn't see a bunch of nations. They saw ta ethne, the Gentiles, all the, the others. Mm-hmm. And so there's some debate about how to translate that. And there is a bit of importance to it in that some scholars have tried to argue, I don't think correctly, but have tried to argue that this is sort of Jesus saying now, okay, Israel sort of failed, we're done with that, and now Mm -hmm. go to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. Now, I do think Mm. ta-ethne here, or ethne, should be translated Gentiles. I do think that's correct. But what I think Matthew has is the mission is still going to Israel, but now it's going to the nations as well. Mm -hmm. And earlier on in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, I've come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So in my interpretation, that hasn't stopped. Jesus is still sending people to Lashi, mm-hmm. the house of Israel, but it's now including Ta'ethne, mm-hmm. yeah. the Gentiles. But this whole thing was hinted at all the way back in conversation one in the genealogy, Precisely. right? Precisely, right. yeah. Matthew's story of Israel is that Israel has always been a story that includes the nations. Yep. And right. Israel typically doesn't need help remembering to focus on itself <laughs> in the story <laughs> right. of the Bible. Yeah. So it's not just yeah. about you. Go yeah. to the nations right. in yeah. the same right. way you're right, that we right. need the right. same reminder. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. why a lot of that language applies so well to the church today, because we yeah. fall into the same traps. So that's one thing. But I want to suggest there, and feel free to push back or have a conversation around this, but I want us to think a little bit together about the Great Commission mm-hmm. and the term that we use there. Mm-hmm. And a couple things just to maybe to note, first off, is it's actually kind of more of a modern term. Okay. And what I mean by that is the Great Commission language tends to be tied more towards Western European missions, which tends to be not just gospel, but culture as a whole, a kind of almost colonizing project. What I'm not suggesting here is that's what Matthew Mm -hmm. has in mind. Mm -hmm. But the language of the Great Commission has quite a bit of baggage. For us. For us. Okay. Yes. And is part of that because the actual language, the Great Commission, 
isn't here precisely yeah. right so <laughs> precisely. we've put a title onto something yes mm-hmm. but it doesn't actually call itself yeah. that yes you know this might seem like a weird illustration but i was speaking in a little village church in the jungles of africa yeah and it was a church that had been planted by western missionaries which is perfectly fine i'm not against western missionaries yeah. but for this sunday morning in this jungle church where it was like 150 degrees and 200% humidity, the first song that we sang was on Greenland's icy mountains. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even know, and I'm not downplaying them, but I didn't even know how many of those folks had ever even heard of Greenland. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another, let alone icy. Right. Yeah, that's a great example. Another example I think of is I read a book to my kids about a missionary in uh, South America that went and he was not welcomed by the missionaries that were there because he was trying to contextualize the message for the people there. But one of the things he noticed while he was there is that the church building was a square and all the other buildings were round. Mm. And as he was starting to build relationships with locals, he's like, well, why aren't you going to the church? And they go, well, that can't be where God is because it's a square and ends. But mm. God would have to be in a round, so good. round mm. building mm. because it never ends. Yeah. And so if the missionaries had paused yep. and learned about that culture a little more, yep. they would have realized maybe we should have a round church yeah. <laughs> instead yeah. of a square yeah. because yeah. it's not about whether That's it's what communicates to the people. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's important you know, to say we have all the respect in the world for missionaries and the sacrifices that they make. And many missionaries do an extraordinary job of exactly what you're saying, Daniel, mm-hmm. of understanding the best way to communicate mm-hmm. the universal message of Jesus oh, yeah. into the particular context yes. of those people. So we're not down on missionaries, but we do recognize yeah. that they're historically in Western missions, there's kind of been a colonial element yeah. to it. Yeah. And, and I think that's a really great way of putting it, Bill, is to look at dynamics that have been problematic or even really problematic isn't to undermine all the people who have come before us, right? Or to appreciate the work that people have done. But yet, as the people of God, we're constantly called to repentance, to the way of Christ. And so if we notice elements in our practice that's not in line with the gospel in the full sense, then we're constantly called to repentance to do better. And then also to just strip off um, expectations and worldviews that maybe color our understanding as we look at scripture, which is kind of where we started this piece of this conversation is that we lay our thinking on top of scripture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if we're honest, what are the ways that I mm-hmm. have built square churches? Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, right. Exactly. like what, I'm using that as an example. Yeah. It's an easy one. Yeah. Yeah. But in reality, if I'm honest, I mean, one of the questions you asked earlier is, have you ever been in a meeting where you've had to ask the question, wait, where's that in the Bible? Uh-huh. One of the first times I ran into that question was when someone asked me that question. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> right. So, so we're just as guilty. Yeah. For sure. yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I think that's a really important point. I think maybe a nice way of framing it, if I can, is what we have here at the end of Matthew and really in the New Testament as a whole is a great experiment. Jesus is launching the new people of God Mm -hmm. where different peoples would come together and learn one another, what it means to be image bearers Mm. by being in community with one another. So there's this open-ended spirit-driven aspect to this where we're supposed to discover more fully our identities in Christ, our identities and brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. The problem is that we often have had in the church in its history, you know, the power balance is way out of whack and that's really corrupts the possibility for 
flourishing for all people in a mm -hmm. way that everybody can be fully affirmed as image bearers of God and truth tellers, right? Mm -hmm. So that the missionary going to another country is not just going with the expectation that he or she is plopping down everything that's true, although of course the gospel is true, but that the spirit might be at work in that group as well. And yeah. that there's a, a mutuality of learning, a fuller sense of participation in gospel community, right? I think that's maybe the key takeaway for me. The other thing, I have to just be honest, every time I read the Great Commission, I just realize how wrong I was about the Great Commission for most of my life, which was, I thought it was a command to go evangelize people. Mm. Yeah, let's make, make disciples. disciples. Yeah, I'm the and same teach way. them to yep. obey everything. Yeah. And I don't want to sound provocative here, but the command to evangelize is almost non-existent mm -hmm. in the New Testament. Mm. It's kind of implicit because you can't really make a disciple Without unless sharing. someone has come, come to, to a, yes, a, a relationship news. with mm -hmm. Christ. Yes. So make disciples is the verb, and then you got going, baptizing, teaching are the participles that, yes, that that's modify right. it, right? That's right. And I've always heard that the evangelism part is the going. Mm. And then the baptizing is incorporating into the church, and then the teaching yep. is the discipling part. Yeah, I've mm -hmm. heard that as well. Yeah, I think we also, though, we live in a culture that focuses on numbers in ways that can be unhealthy. Yeah. And the problem with the Great Commission, if I can say it that way, is it's slower than we want it to be because you're not just telling somebody something and then leaving. You're actually having relationship with them and walking through life with them and continuing to share what it means to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. So it's way slower. And because it's way slower, you can't reach as many people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's more organic. Yeah. You yeah, know, it it's less transactional yeah. and more yeah. organic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're not that comfortable with that. Yeah. 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 And to tag on Bill's point, the key imperative is to make disciples mm -hmm. and the three participles yeah. that follow spell out what that would look like. Yeah. Right. And so, of course, without people hearing the message, yeah, you can't make disciples. Yeah, the, right. the point that I'm getting at is we set the target too soon. Yeah. 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 Right. The target uh -huh. is disciple formation. And then we're done. Not making a transaction yeah. to get people to yeah. heaven. There you go. There yeah. You go. And I think that's the key. Yeah. Disciple formation, making disciples. That's the target. And that's a good caution about setting the target too early in the process. Well, remember Max said he was going to stop short of the last few words of Matthew's gospel. Well, he did that so we could spend our last conversation focusing on those important words and seeing the connection Matthew seems to be making to the story of the Old Testament and a promise God made that is in many ways the foundation for all that happened. Uh, we'll get to those closing words after this preview of where we'll go in our next Discover the Word podcast. What kind of father is he? That's the title of our next podcast as Bill Crowder takes the group to a passage in Exodus where God tells us the kind of father he is. Because this is such an important statement, we really want to spend our conversations unpacking this because this is what God wanted his children to know about him. It becomes so critical to the people of Israel that these words are repeated 12 times in the Old Testament. Whoa. Now think about that. Obviously this is really important, but the things that are repeated verbally in the Old Testament to describe the heart of God for his people are the things that are going to be realized in the New Testament when Jesus comes to represent his Father's heart to us. Mm -hmm. So I trust that uh, as we come into this, we'll be ready to hear from God 
through the scriptures, the things he wants us to know about him. Don't miss that discussion on the next Discover the Word podcast. And now, the conclusion of our conversation with Dr. Max Botner, that scripture might be fulfilled. So, Dr. Botner, Max, thank you so much for joining us and kind of leading us through, especially the book of Matthew, of how the Old Testament's used in the New Testament. It's been really fun. You know, we've just talked about um, how many sermons we actually remember our pastor's preaching to us and you know maybe a handful or so but you made the comment max that it's their demeanor their approach their philosophy their how they approach scripture that really is imparted and that's what's happened in these conversations we've had yeah i think it's been so valuable because alice matthews who preceded us on the program Mm -hmm. like to say that many of the listeners who historically have tuned in to discover the word whether it's on broadcast or now on podcast are fairly sophisticated yeah. in their understanding of Scripture. But I think what you're doing is you're giving them one more mm. tool to read the Bible better. Yeah, yeah giving us one more tool. Yeah. You know, what is the tool that we've been unpacking over the last 10 conversations? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. The theme that I was trying to drive home for Matthew was Jesus, the son of David, Messiah, who's liberating God's people from exile so that the blessing to Abraham could flow to the nations. I see that as kind of the trajectory of the story. So that's kind of the theme that I've been pushing. But underlying that is trying to illustrate a interpretive approach mm-hmm. where Jesus is understood as kind of the climax and fulfillment mm-hmm. of the Old Testament story. Mm-hmm. The Old Testament story being the absolute necessary resource Mm -hmm. for understanding what's happening in Jesus and Jesus bringing the story to its climax. Which informs why Matthew uses the Mm -hmm. Old Testament the way he does in telling that story, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't think for any early Jesus follower, especially Jewish Jesus follower, you could speak about Jesus Messiah without the scriptures, yeah. the Israel yeah. scriptures, right? Yeah. And man, I would love to have been a, a person at that Bible study in one of the early house churches mm. where they didn't have the New Testament yet, but they were engaging the Old Testament, oh, yeah. interpreting it in light of Christ. Yeah. yeah, that would be so helpful. So where are we going to end yeah. these, these two weeks yeah. of conversations? So we left last conversation kind of hanging in that I didn't read the very final line mm-hmm. from Matthew's right. gospel. Yep. Which would be Jesus's final Which line. Which would be Jesus's final line. <laughs> just, so if you've got a red letter Bible, it. it's in yeah. red here. And it's right. not the worst thing in the world that Jesus gets the last word. Not at all. So he reminds them after the command, right, to make disciples, mm-hmm. which our argument in the last conversation was not that sharing the good news is bad. It's that the target of sharing the good news is to make followers of Jesus yeah. who mm-hmm. obey his, his teachings, yeah. right? And so the reminder here, and I'm so grateful he ended the gospel with these words, mm. and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age, <laughs> right? He is the Emmanuel, right? God with us. That's how Matthew began. And that's the reminder that we get uh, at the conclusion. And it's a great comfort because I think when we think about the task that Jesus lays out, and then we take stock of our history and we start to think about the baggage of our history, like we discussed a little bit last conversation, it's very easy to come to the conclusion that the task is too great. God's people are too divided. Mm -hmm. The church is no different than the world. There's all kinds of reasons why we might lose heart. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, the reason why we shouldn't is this last line. Yeah. He's with us. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, in some translations, his words in verse 18 begin with all power. 
mm-hmm. has been given yeah. to me in heaven and on earth. I know in a lot of modern translations, it's authority, but he has all power yeah. and he's with us. Yes. I mean, him being with us yes. is even better because he's the one that has all the power. Yeah, That's there right. are other sections where he'll say authority has been given to you. You know, yeah. he, he'll say that like when he sends the disciples out to baptize and et cetera. But here, even though we have a certain element of authority Mm -hmm. we have his authority because we have him yes but we need to remember it's his authority yeah Yeah. i remember somebody pointing out uh, i think it was nt Wright that points out that this language is why even when we talk about the bible we have to be careful Mm. because the authority is not in the bible it's in the jesus that the bible tells us about and so the authority is standing on christ and it is that authority again it isn't our authority Mm-hmm. But it's this authority that's in us now through the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. <laughs> which wasn't there yet <laughs> right. at this point in the story. So there's a great comfort, but a great caution, mm-hmm. you know, as we utilize and draw on that authority. Yeah. Now, to your point, though, it does get messy. And I think part of the reason is, is because Jesus could have given us a little more mm-hmm. here, right? Like <laughs> maybe the how. <laughs> I think there's logic behind that, actually, yeah. that he forces his people to live in the spirit and figure hmm. out how to live together. And to live in the spirit in their generation. Yeah. So it's okay for it to look different for Daniel's generation yep. than it did for my generation, than it did for my grandparents' generation, because we all have to figure out what living in the spirit looks like in our now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's right. really well said. Hmm. Yeah, and it also reminds me of earlier in Matthew's gospel, where we get that instruction about communal discipline. It's Mm -hmm. that famous line Mm -hmm. where it gets quoted all the time in church. When two or more are gathered, there I am with you. Again, another Emmanuel kind of idea, which of course it's true when we're praying, that's the case. But it's actually a word of assurance that when you're trying to work out issues in the community, issues that are going to arise, you can trust that by the spirit, Jesus is present with you, with his people. So it's a great word of encouragement and has a really neat parallel in rabbinic literature. When two or more are studying the Torah, they're my Shekinah, my glory is there with them. But yeah, I think that would be Daniel's point. A couple things too is your point about scripture, I think is really well said. And it's important for us to remind ourselves of that, especially I think we have rightly a very high view of scripture. But sometimes that high view of scripture can give us the impression that the text is the end unto itself, Mm -hmm. understanding the text or even Mm -hmm. maybe applying a fragment of the text. But ultimately, the text is a witness to the triune mm-hmm. God. So as Jesus yeah. said, it should lead us to worshiping the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Which just happens to be one of the things he commanded us. Precisely. <laughs> to do, right? And that's where it goes back to the command. It's obeying his yeah. commands, yeah. right? I think the other thing that's interesting in this language is commanded. We get a little uncomfortable with mm-hmm. that word, and I think rightly so, because sometimes people have used it in powerful yeah, or positions ways. of authority yeah. in toxic ways. Yeah. But there is a very real way and that there's a responsibility that comes with following Jesus too. It's not just a come to faith mm-hmm. or, you know, be rescued from your sins. It is a commissioning mm-hmm. in that way, which yeah. is part of where that yeah. comes from. I think you're right, Daniel. And I think in addition to that, rightly understood, command does not have to feel oppressive. Command can be us acknowledging that our God knows what's best for us. Yes. And he's going to walk us yes. down the best path for us to yes. take. It's an honoring, you know, it's that Stephen Curtis Chapman song, 
you're a god and I'm not. You know, that yeah. whole thing, God yeah. is God and I'm not. Yeah. I think you're onto it, though. We get uncomfortable with commanded. Another way we've expressed it in our Christian jargon is I'm choosing to follow Jesus as Savior, respond to his call, and then I'm going to follow him as Lord. That's oh, kind of from yeah. the 60s, 70s. Isn't it interesting that we did that? Yeah. That, and that shows a breakdown in understanding of the Great Commission. Yeah. You get him as Savior, and then mm-hmm. it's sort of like optional if he becomes Lord. Or a second step. <laughs> or that's like a second mm-hmm. step. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, he's Lord whether I choose to obey him or not yeah. it doesn't change who yeah, he is precisely because all the authority and all the power is with him exactly yeah. Yeah. exactly yeah maybe a way to think about this too is going back to one of our earlier conversations the pattern here of deliverance and then instruction for yeah. life oh that's yeah, good that's right good. and so what do we have in the end of matthew's gospel we have the new exodus jesus has inaugurated the new covenant through his death yeah. and resurrection and now he is commissioning his people and leaving the spirit mm-hmm. so that they might be instructed to live with And we with we've God. talked about before that the new law is a law of the yeah. heart, you yeah. know, because Jesus perfectly kept the Mosaic law. You know, yeah. we are now called to embrace the new law, the resurrected law. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah 31, we mentioned that text yeah, yeah, earlier. Yeah. The law will be written on your heart like in Christ. It's mm-hmm willing to do the good, mm-hmm. willing to do what God desires, right? And that's what the spirit being written on our heart is freeing us so that we can love God yeah. and love one another. But as Daniel said, you know, we struggle with command. Oh, totally, you know, yeah, yeah. But we also struggle with obedience for yep. the same reason because yeah. it's easy to be mechanical and do the right things and check all the boxes. But what makes obedience work is when we do it as a response of love to the God who loves us. Absolutely. That's love. Yeah. Yeah. Which that, is the Sermon on the Mount, right? Mm-hmm. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. What is perfection described in that term? It's carrying something out to its intended goal. It's yeah. telos, yeah. which is loving everybody. That's Because right. God loves everybody. Therefore, you be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Yeah. And that's how Jesus redefined commandments because he said a new command I give you in John. Yeah. And it is to it. love, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and in other places as well, he says to love God, to love others. And so I think that's one of the other reasons we get a little wonky with the word command is because we look at the Bible and we're like, how can I even remember all this? And that was Jesus's gift. That was part of the challenge that first century Israel had (laughs) was that they were really stuck on command. But again, that you've heard it said, but I say unto you, there's a heart behind those commands that we can't lose sight of. Yes. Yes. And so the making disciples then, if it's a command to love, if that's the new command, then instead of feeling like we have to teach everything in in this book, the Bible, or understand everything or remember everything, because that's been one of the themes of our conversation too, right? But making disciples is a lot more simple when we realize it's modeling love, learning to love, and teaching others to love, Mm -hmm. and being loved by God first. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, and Paul said, all the law is fulfilled in this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. That's right. I mean, that's it. great way to conclude these conversations with New Testament seminary professor, Dr. Max Botner. As he said early on, part one, that we understand Jesus better when we properly understand the Old Testament. And I hope that's happened for you in these two podcasts called That Scripture Might Be Fulfilled. Lisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day at the table with Max. And I think we've made a friend. And I wouldn't be surprised if at some point uh, Max is back here at the table with us again. And as we close this episode, just want you to know that we are grateful to have friends like you joining us for these conversations. And we're also grateful for the supportive friends who make this ministry possible through their financial giving. 
Now, Discover the Word is free for anyone to listen to, but producing and distributing these daily studies comes, of course, with expense. And so your gift today will help us to continue to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. You can show your support by giving online at discovertheword.org. Click the Donate tab. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.